Well, I hope that you brought a Bible and you brought a heart that is ready to surrender today. If you've got your Bible, we're back in the book of Romans. We've been there for a while. We're going to be there today and again next Sunday morning before we turn a corner and move in a different direction as Easter runs headlong at us. This morning, we're going to look together in Romans once more. If you've got a Bible, I want you to take it and turn to the book of Romans, the sixth chapter. Romans chapter 6, we were, have been kind of in this area, chapters 5 and 6, and I was reading again in, in chapter 6 this week, and I found myself just kind of leaning back in my chair and recalling a number of conversations I've had through the years. And I've had people who told me, you know, the, the Bible is just a, a collection of children's stories. All that proves to me is somebody didn't read their Bible. All right? I mean, so many of even what we call children's stories, if you really read them, they're not fit for kids, okay? We have to kind of water them down to let kids get in on some of those stories. I've had others tell me it's a textbook, and so we need to memorize it, and, and then we need to try to understand it and decipher it and make sense out of it. And, and no, it's God's Word. We don't have to understand it, decipher it. We have to let the Spirit of God reveal it to us. My favorite is the people who look at me and say, yeah, you're a preacher. The Bible is just a, a tool that men use to manipulate crowds of people. No, it's not. I understood something a long time ago. I can manipulate people. But if I do, I never accomplish the things that God can accomplish when he takes his word and applies it. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you. In case anybody in here doesn't know me or if it's your first time here or you haven't uh, listened very well over the course of time that you have been here, let's just get things straight. So let's, let's lay the record out. Can we do that? This will take all of maybe eight seconds. I believe that this is the inspired, inerrant, infallible God, that, Word of God, that it is be true from beginning to ending, and it will show us how to live, how to have a right relationship with God, and how to live with Him eternally. Amen. End of story. I don't have to manipulate you. I just have to give you the Word of God. I don't have to try to coach you into doing something. I have to give you the Word of God. I don't have to take God's Word and, and try to make it applicable. God's Spirit does that whenever He takes what is shared. And, you know, it's amazing to me. There are so many times people come in here and they walk out the door and they say, Pastor, I am so glad that you talked about. And I sit there and I think, I didn't say anything at all about that. But the Spirit of God spoke to them because that was the need in their life. And He took the Word that was opened and shared and He applied it to their situation for them. Now, I say all of that to say this. When you open this word, be prepared to hear what God has to say to you. Whenever we open this word together, be prepared for God to speak. When he speaks, it's a challenge. It's a call. It convicts, and if we allow it, it will change us. Why is that important? It's important because I have come to the conviction that none of us are in charge of our lives. 
And a lot of people tell me, well, you know, I, I, I can't be a Christian because I want to call the shots. Good luck with that. I've had a lot of, of, of young people tell me, you know, I just want to do what I want to do right now. When I get older, when I'm grown up, then I'll consider this Christianity thing. Now, I just want you to know something. You don't have any guarantee you're going to get any older. And the way some of y'all live, not going to bet on you. All right? There's not a time when we get old enough to consider Christ. The reality is we need to consider Christ whenever the Spirit of God puts a hankering in our hearts. It's called calling. It's called conviction. It's called the wooing of the Spirit. And some of you older folks know what wooing means. These kids haven't got a clue what wooing is, all right? But here is the reality. We are all going to surrender our lives to something or someone. Because we really don't control things. Even when we think we're in control, we have surrendered. And I think you're going to see that before we're through this morning. We're going to look together in Romans chapter 6, just a few verses. And Paul is talking about this. And please understand, Paul understood what he was talking about. He was a man who at one time had surrendered his life to organized religion. And he was going to wipe out the church if he could possibly do it. But the Spirit of God changed his course, changed his heart, turned him in a different direction, and God began to do something amazing with him. But here's what happened. He went from being surrendered to organized religion to being surrendered to Jesus Christ. Some of us came into this room this morning comfortable with where we're at. We may leave uncomfortable. Some came in thinking, I'm large and in charge. You may discover you need to turn loose. And let go. But God's got to be the one who sorts all that out. And in order for him to do that, I think we have to get to his word. So if you've got your Bible open to Romans chapter 6, I want to encourage you to find verse 9. We're going to begin our reading there. And we're going to read down through verse 14. But I want you to understand, verses 11 through 13 in the middle of it, that's the crux. That's where we're going to spend our time, but I want us to kind of get it in the context of what's going on around it. And so let me just remind you of where we started back in Romans chapter 6 at the very beginning of the chapter. You remember? This is where Paul asked, he said, look, are we supposed to go on sinning? Even now that we've been saved, do we just continue to live in sin and, and let that be our license? The fact that we know we can't be lost after being saved? No way. No way. We are dead to sin. And yet the battle continues. And he tells us a little more about the battle beginning at verse 9. If you've got your Bible open there, if you can, Will, I want to invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's holy word. Listen to these words from the Apostle Paul writing to the brothers and sisters in Rome. He says to them, for we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. Now, I just want to pause and, and, and interject here. Death. We know what death is, right? It's the wages of sin. He's conquered death. He cannot die. He will not die again. Verse 10. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way. Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather 
Offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under law but under grace. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning we ask you to bless the reading of your word. As we spend these moments together, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Help us to understand that all of us, no matter who we are, we are under authority. But we have the ability to make a choice of who will be our master. And I pray that today you would draw our hearts toward the Lord Jesus. I pray that you would reveal to us the sin and wickedness that is in our lives. And that you would move us away from it to a place where we might call upon you in full, complete, and total surrender. Father, teach us your truth. Speak to our hearts. For we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Everyone is under authority. We don't like to talk about that. We don't like to admit that. We don't like to acknowledge that. Because, well, the reality is most of us like to be in charge. We like to be in charge of our own lives. We're under authority whenever we go to our place of employment. We're under authority when we go to the school. We're under authority whenever we're around someone who has a say-so over our lives. But the reality is most of us think, one day I'm going to be in control. I'm going to be in charge. No, you won't. You see, here's a reality you got to come to grips with. We are created beings. And there is a creator who is always over us. But he loves us so much, he has given us the ability to make some choices. We have to choose the authority we're going to be under. A lot of folks don't want to talk about this. They don't want to realize that this is a reality, but it is. And I, Paul wanted his readers to deal with it. And he wants us as his readers years later to deal with this as well. And so I want us to just talk about this for a little bit and understand the choices we have. Now, we can unpack this in a gazillion different ways. Okay? I'm a simple person. And if it's not simple, I'm not going to get it. And I know some of you are like me. And some of you are beyond me. So we're going to keep this simple. I think Paul wants us first to understand. And he would tell us, don't surrender to the enemy. I mean, he starts off right here talking about sin. Now, I just want you to know the origin of sin. If you're thinking that sin is some abstract thing that is birthed in your head or birthed in your heart or something you invent and come up with, if you think any of that, you are so wrong, you could not be more wrong. The reality is that sin is birthed in the heart of Satan. And let me just tell you about Satan for a moment. He's not like that guy you've seen in the cartoons. He's not like a child's Halloween costume. With pointed horns and, 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 and red skin and a, you know, a pitchfork and a pointy tail. That's not Satan. No. When we first meet Satan in the Word of God, he's a beautiful serpent. Now, I know people say, Ugh, there's no such thing as a beautiful serpent. Before sin came in, the serpent was beautiful. People didn't look at it and say, only good snake's dead snake. That didn't happen until after sin, okay? The serpent was a beautiful creation. And he was in the garden with Adam and Eve. 
And he is the one who deceived them and led them to disobey God and to do their own thing. And that's what brought sin into the world. Jesus said that he has been a liar, a cheater, a murderer from the very beginning. Satan is our enemy. A lot of people doubt Satan. By the way, I just want you to know that's not because of the intelligent intellect and knowledge of the 21st century. That was a reality in the first century. That's the reason that James said, hey, brothers, sisters, listen. We have an enemy. Our enemy, Satan, he's prowling about like a roaring lion seeking whom he might devour. He wants to eat you up. He wants to consume you, consume your life. He wants to own you. He wants to make sure that he's got control of your life because if he has control of your life, God will not have control of your life. He works through our natural person. He works in our thought processes. Man, if he can get inside of our heads, he begins to take us to places we should not go and we know we should not go, but we let ourselves go there anyway. He works through the eyeballs. He, man, if he can get us to looking at the wrong things and seeing the wrong things, he can drag us down the wrong road. And he draws us away from our master when he's doing this. Our thoughts begin to go astray. Our eyes begin to go astray. Before long, our lips begin to go astray. We're saying things and treating people in ways that we know we should not be doing, but we do it anyway. If Satan can get us to doing the wrong things, saying the wrong things, seeing the wrong things, being the wrong person, he is winning the victory. And what he does then is he takes all of that rolls it into a great big mess and creates a spiritual train wreck for us what do you call a spiritual train wreck pastor simply this see if this sounds vaguely familiar we begin to accept sin we say well you know it's the way God created me it's it's my normal Or maybe we just change the rules so that what used to be wrong, it's right now. It's okay. And what I'm trying to get you to understand is a lot of what we see happening in the world today, in our culture, in our society, in our country, is the effects of sin. We have accepted that which is unacceptable unacceptable to God and had been unacceptable for decades and for generations. We have accepted it. We have begun to change rules and change laws so that we can say, oh, it's okay. That's not a bad thing. Let me remind you something about God before I go back to Satan. Here's what the Word says about him. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the unchanging God. What he said was wrong is wrong. What he said is right is right. And it doesn't matter how we begin to think about it. And I want you to know something about Satan. Because Satan is after you just the same as God is after you. Except, except God wants to give you life. Satan wants to destroy you. The end game here, folks, this is so hard for people to understand today because the world makes such a big deal about our bodies. Have any of y'all figured out yet your bodies aren't going to make it? Oh, come on. It's not going to make it. See, over here, they're all grinning at me like, you old guy. As you are. 
once was I. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. You got this to look forward to, babies. <laughs> We're not going to make it. I got out of bed this morning, and my knee popped. I thought somebody had shot me. And can I tell you something? Stuff like that happens all the time now. And some of y'all are laughing, and some of you are sitting there saying, wait till you see what comes next. (laughs) Do you know why all this is happening to me? Because of sin. Do you know why it's going to happen to you? Because of sin. You see, the wages of sin is death. Death doesn't always come like that. No, we're dying. We are slowly dying. That's why I keep smiling. I'm just going to enjoy it all the way to finish. All right? But we have to understand, this is not about this body surviving or not surviving. This is a spiritual matter. And there is a spiritual battle going on between God and Satan for your soul and mine. Satan is a tempter. He is a deceiver. He is a liar. He is a murderer. He is a destroyer. This is what Jesus himself said. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said, The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. He said, But I have come that they might have life and have it to the fullest. You see, two completely opposite approaches. John recorded that in his gospel. And then years later, Years down the road, as an elder statesman of the church, he, he writes his epistles that are in the back of the New Testament. First John chapter 3, listen to these words. He said, he who does what is sinful is of the devil. See, you've chosen who to serve, by what you, that's revealed by what you do. He who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who's born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he's been born of God. Listen, brothers and sisters, I want to tell you something. If you say, I'm a Christian, but I still sin, okay. Man, there's a war going on inside of us, but I want to ask you a question. How do you feel when you sin? If you're happy with yourself and say, hey, no big deal, I got away with that, you got a problem. I'm just going to tell you, you got a problem. And your problem is that the Lord is not dwelling in you. But I'm going to tell you this. If you belong to the Lord, when you sin, you know you sin. You feel miserable about it. You find yourself crying out to the Lord and saying, oh, God, what did I do? Forgive me. I I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have looked at that. I shouldn't have acted that way. All of a sudden, the conviction of the Spirit of God comes on us, and we know we can't continue to go that direction. We've got to correct course. Satan is real. His attacks are real. His enticements and his temptations are real. And it's a struggle that we are going to be ensnared in throughout the course of our entire lives. And I want to give you a word, brothers and sisters. Listen to me. We are not capable of beating him in our own strength. Now, if we are walking with the Lord, and if we're letting the Spirit guide us, Victory can be ours. But if we're trying to do this on our own, not going to work. So you've got to decide. 
Am I going to surrender to the enemy of my soul? Am I going to surrender to the one who wants to destroy me and wants to take life away from me and give me death? Am I going to surrender my soul to the one who wants to take me away from an eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ into a fiery eternal hell? It's your decision. One of the things that I've heard so many times and just, I hate this. I know we're not supposed to hate. We're Christians, right? But I hate it when people say this to me. How can a, a God of love, a God who is good, send people to hell? Friends, listen to me. That's not how it works. God is love. And he is good. And he loves each one of us so much that he gives us the opportunity to choose whether we are going to serve him and live with him or if we are going to turn away from him and follow after the enemy and go with him. It's our choice. We get to choose. I know, listen, I understand there is a precarious balance here. And some of you are saying he's about to go clear over a line here. What about God's sovereignty? God called... Listen, we get to choose when God calls. He calls to us and we say yes or we say no. We accept what he offers or we reject him. He already knows what you're going to choose because he's an all-knowing God. But he offers it nonetheless, even to those that he knows will reject him. Listen, there is a theological conundrum going on in the midst of this that I understand and I know some of you are struggling with it and you're weighing it out in your own brains, but I want you to understand It's not God's desire that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It's not his desire that any of his creation, any of his people be lost into eternity. But he also knows, he also knows many are going to reject him. Are you sure he knows that? He just asks you a simple question. Who is Jesus? It's not a trick question, it's a simple question. Who is Jesus? He's God in flesh. And do you remember what he said? He said there's a broad gate. There's a broad way. And many, many, many walk that road. But what's at the end of it? Destruction. And he said there's a narrow gate. There's a narrow way. And few there be that find it. But you see, that's the way of life. So I think, you know, when you read this, and, and, and here's, here's Paul in verse 11, and he's saying, count yourselves dead to sin but alive to God. Don't surrender to the enemy. You're dead to sin. Listen, he's not talking to lost folks here. He's writing this letter to born-again believers in Jesus Christ. He says, you're dead to sin. Don't give the enemy a foothold. Don't surrender to him. But there's something that goes kind of hand in hand with this that I think he would say to us next. And it's simply this. Don't surrender to your flesh. You know, it's really easy for us to say, I, I'm, I, I'm not going to surrender to Satan. But I want you to tell, tell you where Satan goes to work at. Right here. And I mean, he's pretty subtle, and he's pretty sneaky, and he's pretty sly, and he's pretty crafty. But I'm telling you, he comes after us through our flesh, through our body. 
But when you surrender to the desires of the flesh, you put yourself on a path to self-destruction. You begin to pursue things that will gratify you. They might feel good for a while. They might make you happy for a short term. They will allow you to say, man, I'm living the good life. I'm experiencing everything that all my old friends don't. And we convince ourselves everything is okay. But all you got to do is glance back over your shoulder to Eden to realize something. We're a fallen people. If that doesn't make any sense to you, just look around the world we live in. And I know you probably get tired of hearing me say that. Folks, I'm, I'm not trying to beat up on the world. The world needs Jesus, and that's the truth of the matter, and that's where we ought to be aimed at. But we ought to understand, too, we can look at the world and we can see what the results of sin are. God's Word is so clear. It, it reveals how corrupt our flesh is. And I've had people tell me, but you don't understand. I've been a Christian now for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. My flesh is sanctified. I want you to understand something. I believe in sanctification, but your flesh is not going to be fully sanctified until you are glorified, and that's when you quit breathing, brother. You want to know what your flesh is like? Put your finger in Romans chapter 6. Take your Bible up. We're going to look at a couple of places real quick. Go over to Galatians with me. Galatians chapter 5. I just want you to see, this is still Paul writing, still inspired by the same Holy Spirit, still writing the same Word of God, just a different letter. But he's talking about the same issue, sin. Sin in the body, sin in our experience, sin in our lives. Chapter 5, look at verse 19. He says, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality. Well, look, I, I can just stop right there and pitch a tent, right? Our culture's great at this. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness and orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. I just got a quick question. Did anybody get missed by that rapid fire barrage? I think there's something there that all of us can get hung on, right? The reality is that's the flesh. And Paul says, this is our problem. This is who we are. And and, and I know a lot of people say, well, that's not really who I am. Well, okay. You still there in Galatians 5? Jump the page. Get into chapter 6. Look down at verse 8. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Okay, I'm saying, all right, we're in good shape. I I get to choose what I'm going to reap to, to the flesh or to the Spirit. Which way am I going to do that? Just keep turning pages, okay? You you should be right next to Ephesians now. So just turn the page. Get into Ephesians chapter 2. Look at verse 3. You're going to talk about somebody who wrote about the same stuff over and over and over. Paul's it. But look at chapter 2, verse 3. All of us, oh, by the way, just stop right there. Look up here. If I use the word all, who am I speaking to? If If I'm talking today to you and I say all, who in this room is included in that? All of us. 
Go back to verse 3. Look at what Paul says. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we, that we pronoun there is kind of like the word all, okay? In fact, you could put it there and say, we all were by nature objects of wrath. Now, I can stop right there because what Paul has just said is we're all sinners. We've all gone down this track. Some of us have gotten off of that track, praise God, but many are still on it. But we have all been there. We have all been a part of this. We are all part of this sinful process and problem that we have. But I don't want to stop there because, you know, even though I'm going to stop there, I want to go on and I want to get a little bit more in. Can I do that? Can you go just a step, step further? But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, he didn't give up on us. He didn't quit on us. Listen, I'm just going to tell you something. I know me. And if it were me, I'd have given up on me. I'd have written me off. Truth of the matter is, most of you in this room would have given up on me. You would have written me off. But don't fret about it. God would have not given up on you just like he didn't give up on me. Because of his great love and mercy. Oh, we're all sinners. And, and we, let me just park there a second. We're all sinners. I want you to understand something. I, I want to get this all here on the table if I can. There's no sin that's more acceptable than another. Jesus died for sin. And sometimes I think as believers, as Christians, we have a tendency to look at certain sins and think that they're worse than others. Sin is sin is sin. Friends, please understand, I'm not making light of any sin. I'm making much of every sin. The sin in my life that may seem like, well, that's just a little thing. It's just as big as the biggest thing that's out there in somebody else. This is why Jesus talked about that splinter and that beam thing. Sin is sin. And we need to be rid of it. We need to be done with it. That means we've got to be careful that we don't, surrender to the flesh we surrender to the enemy he's going to use our flesh if we say well i beat him i've got this and we let our pride come up guess what just happened we're now we're giving into the flesh and if we give into the flesh it's going to be destructive and i know people say well you say that but i'm not sure i agree okay you don't have to agree with me but let's just talk about what god says matthew mark and luke all recorded the account of jesus encounter with a man that we simply know as the rich young ruler. He was a religious fellow, a good guy. Took care of his family. You know, the Lord talked to him about the law, and, and he said, hey, I, I've been keeping all the commands since I was a little kid. I'm, I'm a good man. Jesus said, okay, great. He said, well, but I want eternal life. Well, there's one more thing you need to do. Go get rid of all your stuff. Give the proceeds to the poor and come follow me. 
Now, I want to tell you one of the most tragic things you'll ever read in Scripture is this. And he went away sad because he was a very wealthy man. See, he chose the things that he had that he thought brought him pleasure over choosing Jesus. He wouldn't turn loose of the stuff that gratified his flesh. Listen, you give away all that stuff, what roof am I going to sleep under? What clothes am I going to wear? What food am I going to eat? I'm not going to have anybody to wash my chariot. So he holds on to all the stuff, but when he did, he lost Jesus. On Wednesday nights, we've been working our way through the book of Acts in our Bible study time. Felix, Festus, Agrippa, they all heard the gospel. But they all rejected the gospel and said, it's, it's not the right time for me. I'm, I'm caught up in other things. They got up and walked out on the preacher. They, they didn't pay attention to the message of God's grace because they thought that they could handle things on their own. There's another guy by the name of Demas. Y'all familiar with Demas? Yeah, this is a Bible trivia one right here. You go home, ask somebody if they know about Demas. You got him, Okay. Demas was one of Paul's partners. He's mentioned three times in Scripture. Demas. D-E-M-A-S. Just like it sounds. In Philemon chapter 1 verse 24, he's referred to as a, a fellow laborer, a co-worker. He was Paul, one of Paul's partners in ministry. He was actively engaged in the mission work. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 14, he's mentioned along with Luke. He's one of the fellow travelers that's in the missionary party with Paul as they're going from city to city, leading people to Christ, planting churches, getting the work of the church started. Then there's the third mention of Demas. It's in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Now, if you're familiar with 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul knows death is imminent. He's asking Timothy, come see me again. Just one more time, I want to see you, little brother. If you have a chance, stop off and pick up my cloak. I'm cold. And my books. I, I want so badly to be able to hold my books and read the Word of God again. And he's describing his situation. And he says, Demas, because he loved this world has deserted me and gone on to Thessalonica. Now, preacher, why would you throw that in there? Because I want you to understand something. Brothers and sisters, you can walk with the Lord, you can walk with the Lord's people, and you can walk away. I'm not saying you lose your salvation. I don't believe you do. And I believe that there are people who walk away and they're going to give an accounting for it because they're God's children. I believe there are those who walk away and they never belong to him. Don't surrender to your flesh. How do you avoid surrendering to our enemy? How do you avoid surrendering to the flesh? Simple. Surrender to Jesus Christ. Listen, I, I think Paul gives us three options. Two bad, one good. You pick. 
You surrender to the enemy, you surrender to your flesh, or you surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's your choice. Look back in Romans chapter 6 again. Look at the end of verse 13. He's already told us, don't offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. I want you to understand when you surrender to Jesus Christ, it brings peace. Now, you say, well, wait a minute. I'm I'm not seeing that in here. No, we already did this a couple weeks ago, back at the beginning of chapter 5. We have peace with God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And now Paul says, since we are at peace with God, we ought to give ourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of our body to him as instruments of righteousness. This is where you experience joy in living. This is where the fulfillment comes in. This is where the satisfaction rises up and fills you. This is where you find out, you know what? I saw what the world had to offer. I've tasted what Jesus has to give. I choose Jesus. This surrender brings life. I love what he says here. Offer the parts of your body to him. As instruments of righteousness. Every part of what we are, every part of who we are, everything about us must be surrendered to Him. Our voice ought to be surrendered to speak His name, to sing His praises, to bring glory and honor to Him. Our hands and our feet ought to be surrendered to go wherever He leads us to and to do whatever He directs us to. All of our talents and our abilities and our gifts ought to be surrendered so that we can be used to praise Him, to bring glory to His name and point others toward Him. Our lives are of no value in kingdom service if they are not fully surrendered. We don't get to give him part of us and hold on to the other part for ourselves. Surrender is absolute. Or it's not surrender at all. And I realized something. You can surrender to Jesus. This morning in this room, if you sense the need to surrender, I want you to understand, it's not me manipulating you. It's not me telling you what you need to do. It's me telling you what God says we ought to do. And it's the Spirit of God giving you a sense of need and purpose today. And if you sense that, I challenge you, I invite you, I encourage you, I plead with you, I implore you, surrender to Him. Because here's the reality. In just a few minutes, we're going to walk out of this room. Everyone who passes through these doors, whichever way you exit, everyone who leaves this room is going to be a slave, a servant. Everyone who leaves here is going to be surrendered to a master. It will be the enemy, it will be your flesh. Or it will be Jesus Christ. Which one would you choose? I choose Jesus.
I pray you will too. Let's bow our heads together. In just a moment, we're going to stand together and sing a song of invitation. The point of this invitation is to give you an opportunity to make a choice. To whom or what will you surrender today? Some of you have already made your decision. You've already chosen. That's awesome. Some of you are trying to figure it out right now. How do I do what I need to do? Some of you are saying, I want to surrender to Jesus, but I'm not sure how to go about that. Okay, let me just tell you something. It's not my desire or the desire of anyone in this place to embarrass you or put you on the spot or make you uncomfortable, but I want, to, I want to ask you, if you want to surrender to Jesus, you don't know what to do or how to do it, would you just come and take me by the hand and say, Pastor, I, I want to surrender to Jesus. I won't embarrass you or put you on the spot. I won't make you do anything that makes you uncomfortable, but I want to share with you from God's Word how you can become His child today. Perhaps you're sitting here and you're saying, you know what? I've surrendered to him, and I've surrendered to him, but I've held this part of my life out. I've kept this for me because I I don't want to turn loose of this thing over here. He's calling on you today. You you wouldn't be thinking about it if it weren't. Would you surrender it to him? You don't have to come tell me. You tell him. If you want someone to hold you accountable for it, come talk to me. I'll be more than happy to look you in the face in a week or two and say, hey, how are we doing with that? Maybe a little bit uncomfortable at first, but it's okay. Again, it's just going to be between me and you. Nobody else is going to know except God. Maybe there's a part of your life you've held out. Do you want to turn it loose? Maybe you've been looking for a place where you could belong, a church family you could connect to, where you could serve and be served, and where you could grow in, in the Lord, and, and he's brought you to this place. You know that's where you're supposed to be. What do you need to do? We'll figure it out together. Let's do it. I'm just asking you. When you walk out the door, who or what's in charge of your life, you decide. Father, I thank you this morning for your word. And I thank you for the challenge that it presents to each one of us. Father, I know in this place, this many folks, there's somebody here who needs a relationship with you. I can't force that. I can't make that happen. I can't, I can't manipulate them. And so I ask you, Father, that your Holy Spirit would draw them, convict them of sin, convince them that Jesus is the Savior. Draw them to yourself that they might find life and life abundant. Father, there's some in this room I know who are battling against the flesh, who are battling against the enemy. They're not going to win the battle on their own. Father, I pray that they would fall into you this morning. Lord, I choose Jesus. That doesn't mean I'm perfect. I'm not. It doesn't mean that I don't fail. I do. It doesn't mean I never don't say things or see things or do things I shouldn't. I always do. But your spirit always points it out to me draws me back to you and Father today I believe your spirit is pointing out some things and drawing some people may this be a moment of surrender Father may we all wave the white flag and say God to you to your son Jesus Christ 
I surrender. Have your way. Do what you will, Father, with us. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.